Well, I'm going to jump right in and give you my text verse for the day. It's out of Romans 8, uh, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Such a powerful book of Romans, and chapter 8 is probably the best one out of the whole book. But I'm going to read verses 35 to 37. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen and amen. The uh, title of my message today is Great Expectations. And I want to actually talk to you about disappointment with God and dealing with disappointment with God. Uh, we're coming up on the season uh, this time of year where it's holiday season and some of us are really excited and some of us, our anxiety level goes through the roof and some just can't wait for January. Uh, but we're all going to put on a happy face and, and try to enjoy this time of year. And I know for me, you know, having kids especially has made this time of year really fun. The kids are really excited. It, it actually, it costs a lot of money when you have kids because, you know, the gifts as they get older get more and more expensive. And, uh, but, but we do love this time of year and it's a lot of fun. But, but I know that there's, for a lot of people, this is a time of year that can be difficult. And uh, some of it for us actually is, a, is a, a manifestation of the disappointment that we have had in our life in our past uh, that has caused us to, uh, the, the, the holiday season actually magnifies some of that disappointment. And I, I just want to talk to you about it today. I, I, think that the, I think that it's important that we talk about things that, that um, may not be real easy to talk about. You know, in fact, when I, I knew I was preaching this week because Pastor Bowen has to, is in Harlem today. Uh, he's, he's sharing at the, in the pulpit at uh, the Harlem Church of God. And so I knew I was going to be preaching this week, and uh, the number of people that have asked me what I was preaching on that I told was probably 10 to 15 people. And everyone that I said, I'm going to preach on disappointment with God, the reaction was almost the same with every one of them. The eyes got real big, like, you're really going to do that? And then the next response was, oh, yeah, that's good, because I, re- I mean, my friend really needs to hear about that, you know? I'm asking for a friend. Um, because, you know, that's something that's not super spiritual to say that I have disappointment with God. In fact, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you deal with, if you deal with this, I'd be willing to bet not very many of us would raise our hand. In fact, some of us wouldn't raise our hand if there was a $100 bill hovering right about here, you know, because it just doesn't sound spiritual. And if you've been saved a long time, we know the truth. We know the word of God. And it says, you know, that, that he's faithful. You know, we just saying that his promises are yes and amen. You know, I can't sing that and mean it and then say I'm disappointed with God. That doesn't make sense. But yet we can't help but feel that sometimes. We feel disappointment, but I'm, I'm here to tell you today, and some of the, this might set some of you free right here at the beginning. I'm just here to tell you today that it is okay to have disappointment with God. Look to your neighbor and say, it's okay. Now, I know there's probably some of you that think I'm a heretic by saying that. Or at the very least, I'm, I'm treading on thin water here, thin ice. But I'm telling you that God's heart for us is that we, do, we would not be so... Uh, staunch in, in what we want to feel and believe that we're not real with ourselves. And the reason I'm saying it's okay to be disappointed with God is because disappointment is just a sadness or a dissatisfaction based on the outcome of something, based on your expectations not being met. So for us to be disappointed with God, I would think we'd all go through that. If you don't have any expectations with God in your life, then, then you're really, you're just kind of coasting along and that's no way to live. As believers, you know, the Bible tells us to expect great things from God. But sometimes those expectations that we have are ones that are from us, not from him. And so when the, the, the solution doesn't match what we think it should be, we get disappointed. And that's okay. It, 
the, the key in all of this is to not allow that disappointment to blossom and to become something that manifests in ways in our life that would be detrimental or that we are still dealing with disappointment that we have from 20 years ago and it's affected our life for the last 20 years and stunted our growth and caused us to be resentful of God and not trust him and have all other kinds of manifestations. The, the hope is for us as believers is that as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, those times of disappointment become shorter and shorter. That, you know, when we're young, like when our, our kids are disappointed because they didn't get the present they wanted, they can be mad for a while, you know? And as they get older, you know, as they become teenagers, they're a little nicer about it when they don't get the gift they want. They actually still say thank you and put on a fake smile, you know? Um, but as believers, when, when, when God disappoints us, as we grow and mature in our faith, that, that level of disappointment and the length of that disappointment would hopefully be much shorter to where eventually we get to that place that even though something didn't happen the way we wanted it to, we can immediately raise our hands and worship and say, God, I don't understand this. This isn't what I would have wanted, but I do trust you. And, uh, you know, I, I've, a lot of you know that my mother passed away about three months ago. And uh, that was a, a whole situation that, that had all kinds of emotions with it. You know, it was almost exactly a year ago that she was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And uh, she started chemo immediately. She went through six treatments. And after the chemo was done, she went back for a scan and the scan came back clear. And we were rejoicing. I said it from this stage, thanking everybody for their prayers. And, and we were just so thankful for what God had done. And three months later, she went back for a checkup and they, it actually turned into leukemia, a very aggressive form of leukemia. And they said she had a week to live. And within a week to the day, she passed away. And if I'm being really honest, I was a little disappointed because we, had, we had, had these emotions of, you know, she was diagnosed, we were sad, then she got a clear scan, we were excited, and then three months later, she was gone. And I was disappointed with God. And I'm not ashamed to admit it because I had expectations that weren't met. Now, I didn't stay wallowing in that disappointment. I, I chose to look at the situation and say, okay, God, I'm gonna rejoice in the things in this situation that I, that I can rejoice in. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter how bad a situation is. If you are mature in God, you can find something to rejoice about in the middle of your situation. You know, Jesus, the, the Bible says to tell us to rejoice in all things, to give thanks in all things, not for all things. It's a very important preposition to make sure we say in and not for. But we can rejoice in everything that happens to us. There's always something to find that we can rejoice with God for. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what I learned to do. And it's actually been really great. And, but as I talk to people, I find that a lot of people are really disappointed with God and how things have worked out for them. And it's hard for them to get past that, to really be able to grow and thrive in their relationship with the Lord. And that's why I want to talk about it today. Um, in fact, I'm going to, I want to uh, start off by, by just mentioning a few things that, that I, ways that, that disappointment with God manifests in our life. I want to talk about that, and, and I'm going to kind of build a foundation here, and I'm going to talk to you about the things that I think we can do to get victory in this. So the first thing that manifests in our life that, that comes from disappointment is isolation. Yeah. A lot of times when we're disappointed with God, we isolate ourselves. For one of the very reasons that I said at the top was that we don't want to admit that we deal with it. And so we put up the facade, we put up the wall to keep people out and don't tell them that we really struggle with that because it makes us sound unspiritual. And so we isolate ourselves in that way. We don't want to allow people in to know how I really feel because it's going to make them think less of me. Like, you know, they're going to look at me and say, man, you've been saved for 20 years. How can you be disappointed with God? Don't you read your Bible? If you read your Bible, you should know you can't be disappointed with him. And, and we believe that lie. And so we isolate ourselves. And, and the irony of that whole thing is that the exact opposite is what we really need. When we're dealing with disappointment, we need to be in community. 
We need to be with other believers that can encourage us, that we can be transparent with and say, this is what I'm dealing with and have them not judge us. But actually what you find out more often than not is when you, say, when you are transparent about something, you find out that person's dealing with it too. Yeah. And they were afraid to tell you. I, after first service, I had more than a couple people come up to me and say, oh, it's so good to hear that you str- you've struggled with disappointment with God because I struggle with it too. And it, you can just almost feel like weight just comes off of them. Like, oh, I thought I was alone in this. You know, it's like, it's like men and, and lust. You know, men don't like to admit they struggle with lust because that sounds icky and perverted, you know. But when you're actually transparent about it, you realize that, that about nine out of ten men struggle with it in some form or another, you know. But we tend to think we're the only ones dealing with it. Everybody else is just great and doesn't have any struggles and just floats and lives in a marshmallow cloud. And I'm the only one that has any struggles in life, you know. But when we're, when we're true and we're transparent about it, we realize that a lot of people actually do struggle with it. So the second one is doubt and unbelief comes from disappointment. When we, when we allow disappointment to, to fester in our lives, it brings doubt and unbelief. Because, we, because the disappointment comes because the situation didn't happen the way we wanted it to. And so we start to doubt, like, well, is God really that good? Is he really, does he care about me as an individual like he cares about everybody else? Is he really going to take care of me? Is he really going to meet my needs? Um, I heard a, an atheist say one time, you know, you Christians are so, are so blind. He said, you give God all the credit for everything good that happens, and you don't give him any of the blame when anything bad happens. And you know what? He's right. Because we do. Because we as believers, if you, if you understand the Word of God, and you understand the character of God, that, that's how we are to be. We're, we are to give him glory for everything good that happens. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from heaven and comes from above, from the Father of lights. And, and we know when bad things happen, it's because of the fallen nature of this world. Because sin came into this world. Before sin came into this world, there wasn't anything bad. So God doesn't bring those things to us. And so, but, but to somebody that's an atheist, you know, a lot of atheists, people that proclaim to be atheists, were, were Christians at one point, but got so disappointed by God that they turned their back because of doubt and unbelief. Because they said, well, I, I served God and yet, you know, I still lost my job or I still went bankrupt or my mom still died or I still, my wife still left me or whatever. And, we th- and, they, and they have this... This mentality that like, if I am a Christian and I serve God, then God should do all these things for me. And so it causes, if you let that disappointment grow and flourish inside of you, it causes that doubt and unbelief to creep in. The third one is fear. Fear is a huge one for us. Uh, The the little secret with with preaching is if you want a great altar call, a great altar response, you preach on fear or the will of God. Because everybody's dealing with it. And, uh, but, but fear is something that comes, and this is one of the ways fear comes into our life is when we have disappointment. You know, I could say, um, uh, you know, my, my mom died from cancer. So the next person I know that, that gets diagnosed with cancer, that fear could swell up in me if it's somebody that I care about, you know, that I really love that, oh no, God didn't heal my mom the way I wanted him to. So he's probably not going to heal this person either. So you let fear in and, uh, and it starts to rule you. And, and I know there's lots and lots and lots of Christians that are motivated by fear in every aspect of their life. It just controls them. Fear is such a powerful spirit. But we have not been given a spirit of fear. Amen? Amen. We've been given a, a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. But when we allow that disappointment to grow, to, to bloom in our lives, it, it, gives, it gives place for fear to come in. The next one is compromise. For some of us, we, we, when we have disappointment, we compromise because we say, well, you know what? I did it God's way this time. And now I'm going to do it my own way. Because when I did it God's way, it didn't work out. You know, I served God and I, I had a good job and I was tithing on my, on my income. And, and I lost my job because the boss's girlfriend needed a job. So they fired me to give her a job. And so now I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to 
cheat and steal and borrow and do whatever I got to do to get the job I want to get. And uh, that can happen in us because if we, if we allow that, to, that disappointment to come in, we can allow ourselves to compromise what we know to be the truth. And then uh, lastly is a feeling of betrayal. Now, this is, this is actually a very scary place to get because uh, betrayal is like the next level. Like disappointment is one thing, but to feel actually betrayed is to say, I put myself out there and God, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You betrayed me. Now we know that God has never betrayed anybody, but that doesn't change the fact that sometimes we can feel that way. Like, God, you betrayed me. Because we can pick and choose scriptures out of the Bible to, to match up with what we want. And if it doesn't happen that way, um, then we can feel like we were betrayed. And frankly, physical healing is one of the big ones. You know, the Bible talks about healing. God heals people all the time. I, I, know, I know tons of testimonies of people getting healed. And so we can cling on to that scripture and say, well, God's, the Bible says this. God's going to, we lay hands on them. They're going to get healed. And it doesn't happen. And we can feel betrayed because we say, well, God didn't do what he said he was going to do. And people want answers to stuff like that. People want to say, like, why didn't that happen? The Bible said this, and it didn't happen the way the Bible says it's going to happen. And some of those things we just can't answer. Some of those things are, we're just never going to know on this side of eternity. You know, I believe when the Bible talks about healing, uh, there's, there's more than one aspect of that healing. Yes, sometimes it heals here on earth physically. Sometimes you get your permanent healing, which is what my mom got. Permanent healing is, is better than physical healing. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus called him out of the grave and he was brought back to life. But you know what? It's not in the Bible, but Lazarus died one day after that, you know, so we're all going to die. And and to have that permanent healing is what the ultimate victory is what it is. And so, um, so we, we have to make sure we keep perspective on all of that. So let me, let me move on. Those are just, uh, what is it? Five manifestations. There's many more, but those are ones that were just jumping out at me, but I also want to talk to you about, um, some dangerous thinking that comes along that, that causes us to really let disappointment fester in our lives. And I think, I think a lot of us are guilty of this um, if we're honest with ourselves. And, and the first dangerous thought that we have is that the Holy Spirit eliminates all disappointment. If we have the Holy Spirit in our life, we should never be disappointed. That's, that's, um, that's a common thought that we have. We don't say it out loud, but we, we feel like that's how we should think as Christians. Um, I'm going to go back to the text verse that I started with in Romans 8, 35 to 37. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, and then he lists seven things that he's, that he's asking. Will these things separate us from God's love? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Those are all pretty bad things. And he's saying, will these things separate us? He's not saying, will these things never happen once we get saved? He's talking to Christians. And he's saying, will these things separate us from God's love? You're already saved. So when these things happen, will it separate you? From, can it separate you from his love? That's what he's asking. Another way of saying it is like, hey, when this stuff happens, when you have to deal with these things, and, you know, nakedness there means uh, just not having enough money to even buy clothes. So it's extreme poverty, danger, sword is violence, you know, hardship, persecution, famine. Those are terrible things. And he's saying these things may affect your, your physical life, but is it going to separate you from his love? Because he says there, um, and he reiterates it because he says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's not the term that I want to use as my, in my Christian life. I don't want that as the heading of my Christian life. You know, that's not something we're going to brag about and say, hey, guess what? I'm, a, I'm, I'm as a sheep to be slaughtered. That's a wonderful thing. I can't wait to serve Jesus. You know, that's not the banner we want over us, right? But Paul's saying they're like, this is what we're, these are the things that happen. And then, but then he goes on to say, which is the verse we love to quote. We love to quote the last verse. Right? We don't like the verses right before that. The last verse says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, uh, more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And that's, that's the part we love. But you know what? We wouldn't have to be conquerors if there wasn't anything to conquer. And there's those things that, that can manifest in the natural. And what he's saying is that even though these things may happen, we can be conquerors over these things in the spiritual realm. You know, I mean, there's no promise that everything physically is going to go great for us. We know that. I mean, all the apostles, uh, except for John, were martyred. And they tried to martyr John. It just didn't work. You know, and they loved Jesus. And they were the, they were the original carriers of the gospel. So we know that just because we're saved doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect. Yet we get disappointed when God doesn't do it the way we want him to do it sometimes. That's, and that's just human nature. That's not for something for us to be beat up about or be condemned for. It's just, we just need to get our thinking right. We need to come back and reset sometimes and say, okay, God, this is what I wanted. You didn't do it, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm, help me to understand uh, what you're doing in me in this situation in my life. Um, the, uh, the, the, the concept that the Holy Spirit eliminates all disappointment is, is, is really laughable when you really dig into the scripture because, now, and, and don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that being a Christian is doom and gloom and just expect the worst, but just, you know, love God in spite of it. God, he's a, he's a good father. And we know that. And he, he's, he does things for us sometimes that we don't even realize. We don't even know how much he works on our behalf sometimes. And we may not know until we get to heaven. But, but I just, my point today is that I don't want you to hang your hat on whether or not God's going to do something for me the way I want him to do it. That's, that's where we have to be able to rise above that. Because the, some of the terms that are used, the names of God, uh, would, would imply to us that there's going to be trouble. The one, one term that's used is that, that Jesus said he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the comforter. Okay? We don't need a comforter unless we're uncomfortable, right? I don't, I don't need a comforter. I don't need somebody to comfort me if everything's going great and I just won the lottery, you know? I need you to just stay away because I'm going to assume you're trying to take my money. <laughs> um, that was a joke. So we, we don't need that unless we need comfort only when we're uncomfortable. So Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be uncomfortable things in your life, but take heart because I'm bringing a comforter that's going to comfort you and help you in that time. Uh, another word that's used is counselor. You know, it says, it says that God is, Jesus is going to be, when, when Isaiah prophesies the coming of Jesus, he says he's going to be called wonderful counselor. Well, you don't need a counselor either if things are going great. You know, Mike Clare is our, our uh, pastoral care minister here on staff, and he, he talks to people all day, every day. And I don't know, he's never came to me and said, hey, I had somebody call, make an appointment today, just want to tell me how great their life is. That doesn't happen. People don't need a counselor if they don't have things going on in their life that they need help with. And one of the names of God is that he's a counselor. Uh, one of the, one, another, another term for Jesus is that he's in, in, our intercessor. I'm thankful that Jesus intercedes for me. Amen. I'm very thankful for that. But he wouldn't have to intercede for me if there wasn't things standing in my way. You know, we don't need, we don't need intercession. We don't feel like we need somebody to pray for us when everything's great. We, most people want prayer for things that they're wanting to get behind them or get victory over or have God help them with. And so those very terms tell us that, uh, that we're going to have obstacles in life. And there may be times that we would be disappointed because things didn't work out the way we wanted. But we could take heart because God is there to help us. Uh, another dangerous thought that we have, this is actually a question, is why doesn't God answer my prayer? I hear this all the time. Like, God's just not answering my prayer. I'm asking him for this, and it's just not happening. I've been asking him for a job for six months, and he still doesn't give me a job. I've been asking him to, to heal my marriage for, for a year, and he's, he hasn't done it. I'm asking him to do this. I'm asking him to do that, and, I, and he's not doing it. And, and I, I would challenge you today that God's answered our prayer. He always answers our prayers. It's just not always the way we want him to answer it. You know, sometimes God says no. Now, 
there's always, there's always a human element depending, like when you're talking about relationships, if you're asking God to heal your marriage, he's not gonna say no, but there's a human element that comes along in that as well. But there are certain situations where God actually, when we pray, he says no, but I think we, when we pray about something, we, and I fall into this trap too, that I prayed about it, so I feel like God's gonna do it because I asked him and I asked him nicely, you know? But sometimes God says no. I'll give you an illustration. Um, when I, when, uh, when Joy and I got engaged, uh, we knew we were gonna leave. We were both working with Youth With A Mission, a missions organization. I'd been there for five years. She'd been there for two or three. And uh, while, even before I went into Youth With A Mission, the Lord had spoke to me and said that I was gonna be in pastoral ministry. And when he first told me, I kind of laughed because I, I said, there's just no way. And, but while I was in missions, uh, the Lord reaffirmed it to me and confirmed it and actually changed my heart to where I really wanted it. And uh, so we were leaving the missions uh, organization and uh, we were praying about what we were gonna do. And I get a call from my home church up in Ohio and they, they heard that I was leaving YWAM and they said, an elder called me and he said, this is really amazing. He said, uh, we know you're leaving and you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do. And our youth pastor just announced to us that he's going to move on. He's, he's, he wants to move on into other things. And so we need a youth pastor and we think you'd be perfect. And if you want it, the job's yours. And I was like, oh God, you're so good, man. I'm telling you, you told me we we're gonna put me in pastoral ministry. This is gonna be a great stepping stone and it's gonna be a wonderful thing. This is my home church. Everybody loves me there. They all know me. And um, well, most people love me. Obviously there's some that probably didn't. But, and uh, so I told him, you know, I said, well, we're gonna pray about it. But in my head, I'm going, it's a done deal. You know, but I just wanted to sound spiritual. So I said, I'd pray. And, uh, and I told Joy and we actually prayed about it. And after about... 30 seconds, it felt like, Joy was like, nope, God said no. And I, how many of you know, like, our wives just seem to get it quicker than we do. And I don't always like that, you know? I didn't like it here because I really wanted to do it. And I was like, well, you know, we need to keep praying. And um, so we kept praying, but I, I don't remember the whole timeline, but I, with it, by the end of that first day, I knew too that God was saying no. And I was, I was not happy about it, I was disappointed. I called the guy back and I said, I'm sorry, we've prayed and we feel like the Lord said no. And he was like stunned because he was just sure, you know, this was God, it was all gonna work out. And I said, I'm sorry. And, and uh, I was frustrated because I felt like, you know, God, this, at first I was like, okay, well, you got something different in store, that's fine. But then for the next, you know, two years, I was, we were living here and I was struggling doing odd jobs and just trying to, to eke out a living, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I could have had this great gig and I would have been doing exactly what I felt like the Lord's called me to do and I just don't understand it. And then, uh, you know, then the Lord like supernaturally put us into business and I didn't want to do business. I didn't want to go in, have my own business. I wanted to be in ministry. And for, you know, three, four years, I was literally grieving because I, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, even though life was good and, you know, we were successful and things were good. I just, I felt I was, I let that disappointment just fester and it became so much in my life to where it, like, it caused me to almost go into a depression. And I had to get to a place where I, where I accepted it and I said, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And, um, and I'm so thankful that, that God said no to that because I, I wouldn't be here today. I, my life would be completely different. I see now in hindsight, how much God brought me to this place and what he's done to get me here. And, uh, and, and in reality, I see that, um, which is my next point is that sometimes God tells us to wait. You know, when we pray, God either says yes, no, or wait. And uh, he told me no about taking that job. But then he said, wait about going into ministry. And it took 13 years for him to release me into ministry here at this church. And, 
And in hindsight, I see what he was doing because, you know, back then I was 27, 28. And, you know, I thought I knew everything. So I thought I was just going to take the world by storm. But now that I'm 44 and I look back, I realize I knew absolutely nothing. And I probably would have crashed and burned and got burned out and left. And who knows what would happen, you know. So God knows what he's doing, even when I don't feel like he knows what he's doing, you know. Like, God, wait a minute, God, you didn't hear me right, you know. Or I have to remind him, hey, you told me I'm going into ministry. Don't you remember that? You know, and we're expecting God to go, oh, yeah, I forgot. Okay, go ahead, you know. Um, but in hindsight, I look back and I see, okay, I see what you were doing now. And it's so wonderful. It's such a blessing for me. And, and I, I've, I've talked to people that are at, in this church that are frustrated because God's not doing what they want him to do. And I get that. And God gets that. But if we will just understand that sometimes he says, wait, that it's okay. That waiting is not a bad thing. Because what he's doing in those times is he's growing you up. You're, you know, life is about seasons. I'm learning this. The older I get, the more I see. Their life is just nothing but a bunch of seasons put together. And the great thing about a season is it has a beginning and an end. And so what I tell people all the time, like this season you're in that you're not loving, it's going to have an end. And the key is in that season is to let God do what he wants to do in you during that time. Because what he's doing is he's preparing you for that next season. And he's, he's faithful. And he's going to do what he's telling you he's going to do. But you're in a season right now of preparation or whatever it is. And you can trust that that season's going to end and you're going to walk into what he has for you. But he wants you to be faithful in, that, in the season you're in. You know, and if it feels like you're in a valley, that's okay. You know, we, we get stuff, we learn stuff, we grow in ways in the valley that we'll never, ever experience on the mountaintop. The mountaintop's great, but the mountaintop happens when we go through the valley. You know, the stuff, the stuff grows in the valley. Things don't grow on mountaintops. They grow in the valley. And that's where we're called to grow. And we get through those seasons, we get to the mountaintops. You know, the life ebbs and flows and we're gonna be, there's gonna be times where we're feeling like we're doing exactly what we wanna do. And then there's gonna be times where we're feeling like, I don't wanna do this at all, but I can be faithful in the midst of that. And I don't have to be disappointed that God's not doing what I want him to do because I can trust him. And knowing that sometimes when I'm praying, he's saying, wait. And sometimes he's even saying no, because he, he has what's best for me. So God does answer our prayers. We just have to be faithful to, to trust him in the midst of it. And then... The last one, the last dangerous thought is also a question. And it is, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? I'm sure if you talk to non-Christian, people that don't profess to be followers of Jesus, you will hear this all the time. Like when you, if you witness to somebody, they'll say, oh, if God's so good, he's so faithful, if he's so wonderful, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Why is there so much starvation all over the world? Why are there dictators that are keeping their people down? Why is... Why are there hurricanes that are killing people and, and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff? If God's so good, why is this stuff happening? And the world asks those questions. But you know what? I think we as Christians ask those questions too a lot. We don't say it out loud because, again, it's not spiritual to say that. Because, you know, we don't want to get, we'll get the religious answer sometimes if you say that. Um, but what, we need to be real with ourselves. And if that's a question we have, we need to understand uh, where it comes from and what's causing that in our lives. Why are we asking ourselves that? Because... You know, as, as humans, we think, okay, so if I was, if I was God, I wouldn't let any of these, those things happen. You know, if I was God, I would make sure that good people get rewarded and bad people get judged. You know, I would make sure people are taken care of based on what they do. And the, 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 the error in thinking that is that we think, well, that we're one of the good people, so we should get rewarded for what we do. But, you know, the Bible is very clear that our, our righteousness is as filthy rags to him. There's nothing good in any one of us. You know, it's the grace of God. It's the, it's the blood of Jesus that gives us right standing with God and nothing else. 
Nothing else. That's the only thing that gets it, makes us good. We are all, the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, every one of us was born into sin. Every one of us. There's nothing good in us. So we can't make the error of thinking that we're good, so we deserve good things, and these other people are bad, and they should deserve bad things. That, that, that's, not a, that's not a right thinking of who God is and who we are. And so the, the, the truth of the matter is, is instead of saying, why, does good, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, we should say, why does anything good happen to any one of us? Because none of us deserve it. We, if we got what we deserve, it, it, we wouldn't just be smelling smoke in here, right? It'd be a lot worse than that. We don't get what we deserve, and that's, that's the grace of God. And then we need to have an understanding of that grace. Um, I think sometimes, like, when I read the Word, I try to, I, I try to read it and, and just find new things in it when I read. Like, not just, you know, especially if you're reading a, a chapter that you've read a hundred times, you, the tendency is just like, kind of like fly through it just to kind of get it under your belt. But I try to stop and I really just try to ponder and read through the things. And uh, I was reading John 5 the other day, and it's, it's the story where, uh, you know, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And, you know, an angel would stir this pool every once in a while, and whoever got in the pool first was healed. And so a lot of crippled and, and, and invalid people would sit around that pool hoping to be the next one to get healed. And Jesus walks up on this person that's, that's laying there and he says, why are you here? And this guy says, oh, I've been, I've been crippled for like 37 years and, and, uh, and I lay here by this pool. But every time the pool gets stirred, I don't have anybody to help me get in. So somebody always gets in ahead of me and, uh, and I can't get healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, well, get up and take up, pick up your mat and walk. And so the guy does it right there, heals him on the spot instantaneously. Guy's so excited, he gets up, takes his mat, and he starts walking. And the Pharisees see him, and they, they, they point him out. They say, hey, why are, you, why are you carrying your mat? It's Sabbath. It's against the law to carry your mat on the Sabbath. And the guy says, uh, this guy over here just told me to get up, pick up my mat, walk, and I got healed, and I'm doing whatever he says. And so they're like looking for this guy that did this. And the Bible says that Jesus kind of hid himself in the crowd. And I, th- I read that, and I think, okay, yes, of course, we rejoice in the fact that he healed somebody. But then I think, okay... The, the, the Bible says there that there was many, many people around that pool that were needing healing. And for Jesus to just, to us, arbitrarily walk up to one person and heal him and then hide and not even, you know, take any credit for it uh, is, is, is really confusing at times to me because I think, you know, I put myself in that place. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you think if I was God, if I was Jesus and I had that power, I'd have just been walking around the pool going healed, healed healed, healed. Oh, I missed one. Healed, healed. You know, just having a good old time, watching everybody jump up and high-fiving and rejoicing and going crazy. And yet Jesus heals one person. All these other people had huge needs, just as much of a need as this guy. And he hides in there until the Pharisees are gone. And then he takes off. And uh, it, it just, you know, the thought can come to my mind like, man, that's just not fair, God. You know, why did you do that? And if you're looking for me to have some great answer, I don't. Because there isn't one. You know, his ways are so much higher than ours. You know, Jesus was very intentional about everything he did when he was on this earth. So that wasn't some random thing. It seems random to us, but it was very intentional. He had decided probably from the beginning of time that that guy at that pool, he was going to heal him on that day. And so he knew what he was doing. But to us, it's so easy to get caught up in fairness. Like, God, you're, it's just, things just aren't fair. And, and I would agree with you. Things are not fair. This world's not fair. Even when you get saved, life doesn't get more fair. It really doesn't. Sometimes it gets worse in a lot of ways, you know, because you see, you could, you could serve God wholeheartedly and still have things happen that you would rather not happen. And then you could see people that are completely oblivious and could not care less about honoring God that seem to be, quote unquote, blessed in many more ways than even you could be. And so 
the fairness, the desire for fairness in us, it really dies hard because we want to have that. That's something that's innate in all of us. To, at least we want fairness for us. I don't know if we care about it for everybody else, but we want fairness for us. But Jesus never promised us fairness. He never promised that if everything was just going to be fair all of a sudden. In fact, he is a, he's the example of unfairness. Like he didn't do anything wrong and he died a brutal sinner's death on a cross, you know. But he, even though he doesn't promise us fairness, he does offer a, us a way on the other, to the other side of unfairness. You know, that, that even though this life may be unfair, there, he's telling us that at the end, when this is all said and done, we're going to win. You know, we're, we're all come out good in the end of this. And, and for some of us, that may not be a lot of consolation because we've got a lot of life to live and we want, we want to see it in our life as well. But we can, we can rest in knowing that he paid the greatest price for us and that we can trust him. And that no matter what happens to us, we, we know that he's, his ways are higher than ours and we don't have to understand, but we can trust. Um, so let me, let me finish up here by giving you some keys to getting victory over this, over living in disappointment. And the, the first one is to expose the lie of the enemy. I think, you know, the enemy is, is real and he's always... He is always coming against us. He's called the enemy for a reason. He is your enemy. And, uh, and he's good at lying to us. He's actually very good. The Bible talks about him being cunning like a lion. He's very, very good at lying. He never announces it to us that he's lying. He never says, hey, by the way, this is Satan and I'm telling you this. You know, because if he did, we'd say, oh, well, that's Satan. My Bible says you're the father of lies, so that can't be true. What he does is he lies to us, but he makes us think it's coming from ourselves. Or sometimes even from God. And, uh, and so we have to expose his lies. And I would say one of the, one of the biggest lies he, he perpetuates in our life when it comes to, to, to disappointment is that if God would just speak clearly to me, everything would be okay. I know I would never be disappointed again if I could just hear from God, if I could just hear him speak, or if he would just show himself to me in a powerful way, then I wouldn't be disappointed anymore. Now, do we want God to speak to us? Do we want him to show himself to us in a powerful way? Absolutely. That's a good thing. Of course, we, we believe that. We are, we are Pentecostal. We believe the Holy Spirit is manifested in powerful ways. And we believe he speaks to us through his word, through, uh, through rhema words, through our prayers, that he can, he can speak to us in many, many ways. But we can, to think that if that was what would eliminate disappointment in our lives, we're mistaken. And I'll give you a few examples. The uh, children of Israel were held captive in Egypt for hundreds of years and being tortured and enslaved and lived uh, lives that none of us could even ever fathom living. And God raises up Moses and, you know, delivers them out of Egypt and uh, on their way out, you know, literally splits the Red Sea in two. The Bible says they actually walked across on dry ground. So not only did he move the water away, he actually dried it up so there was no mud and walked them through. Pretty epic, you know, phenomenal experience to have. And, uh, and then they get on the other side and as they're wandering through the desert, uh, he leads them by a big pillar of fire that's burning nothing at night. And during the day, it's a big cloud that, that leads them. And, and Moses is with them. And Moses actually talks to God and meets with God. When he goes into the tent and meets with God, when he comes out, he has to put a veil over his face because his face is so bright, they can't even look at him. They got to wait till the brightness fades because he was in the presence of God. And Moses would deliver his messages to the people. So they were hearing directly from God in multiple ways. Yet they were uh, the epitome of disappointment. They were disappointed all the time. In fact, they went as far as to say, God, why didn't God just leave us in Egypt? It would have been so much better there. You know, all that slavery and being tortured, that's so much better than, than getting miraculous food on the ground every morning for us. You know, I mean, it's so absurd. 
And, and I can read through Exodus and think, man, they were just some stubborn people. But God has shown me, the more I read it, the more I, he's shown me that, yeah, that's you too. You know, you'd be the same way. They're not, they're not any different, any worse than you. And, uh, and we're, to think that if God would just speak to us, that all of a sudden everything would be great um, is somewhat of, of a fallacy for us. So you got the children of Israel, you got Elijah's another one I thought of. You know, he was on Mount Carmel and he, he, he did his offering to God and the prophets of Baal did their offering and they decided whoever's offering God consumed, that was the real God that they were going to serve. And, and you guys probably know the story, you know, the prophets of Baal, they, their, their God did nothing. And Elijah prayed one time and God came down and consumed his whole offering and the people were all, oh, Elijah's God, he's the real God. And they killed all the prophets of Baal. And, and it was a glorious victory. One of the greatest uh, occurrences in all the Bible. Huge victory for Elijah and for the Lord. The next chapter, the, it's, in my Bible, it's even on the same page. Elijah is running from Jezebel because she said she's going to kill him. He just destroyed 450 prophets of Baal, but, but one person is going to kill him and he's, he's off running and he's hiding in a cave and he's saying to God, God, just kill me. And this is a guy that heard from God all the time, okay? But he, he was disappointed because, because Jezebel was coming after him and he allowed that disappointment to cause him to say, God, just kill me. Now we know that he, he came out of that and he was victorious in that, but, but, uh, but it's making my point about him hearing from God. And then you got John the Baptist. He's the last one that I want to mention. He's you know, he, he baptized the son of God, okay? And when he baptized him, brought him up out of the water, the sky splits in two, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and lands on Jesus. It's this really amazing experience that, you know, we visualize. And then not only that, a voice from heaven yells down and says, this is my son in who I'm well pleased. Now, this was before loudspeakers where they could have manipulated this and made something fake, you know? And so this was real. John the Baptist literally heard God the Father say, this is my son that you just baptized, and I'm well pleased in him. A few chapters later, John's in prison, waiting execution for doing nothing more than just being obedient to God. And he's in disappointment because he sends his disciples to go to Jesus and ask him, hey, uh, by the way, are you the real Messiah or are we supposed to wait for someone else? And, I'm, you know, Jesus is so gracious and loving and he, he responded it well. But, you know, most of us would have probably said something sarcastic. Or at least I know I would have. Um, but the fact that like you literally saw the Holy Spirit descend, you heard God speak and you're asking if I'm the one, that's what disappointment can do for us. It, it causes us to question everything. And, uh, and, and the fact that even God spoke to him did not alleviate that disappointment because down the road, he allowed that to, to affect his life. So um, we can't just hang our hats on wanting God to speak to us and show us exactly what he wants. Those we should definitely long for that and, and desire that. And there's, time, there's times it's appropriate to pray and fast to really hear from God. I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. But, but to think that that's going to be the solution to all of our issues is, is really erroneous to feel that way. Because God wants us to trust him no matter what. Whether he, whether he speaks audibly or not, he wants us to be able to trust him in all those situations. Um, one of the key to victory is to name your disappointment. We need to name it. We need to be real with God. God cannot meet you until you are real with him. It's so important. I, I, I fall into this trap constantly where I don't say this out loud and I don't, even, I don't even consciously think it. But if I'm honest with myself, I know I've subconsciously thought this. Like, if I don't mention it, maybe it's not there. You know? And like, or, or I don't want to disappoint God by saying that I'm disappointed with him. Because it'll make me, we almost, we can put up a facade even for God. 
which is, you know, it's laughable when you say it, but we do it. We do it all the time. He knows he created the innermost part of our being. There's not any thoughts that are hidden from him. Yet we can act sometimes like if we don't say it, it's not happening. But in reality, and that's a lie from the enemy, because in reality, when we're transparent, when we're real with him, that's where he meets us. He meets us at that place when we say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. I need your help. And God's saying, finally, now I can help you. Because if we're not real, he, can't, he, he limits himself in not doing anything in that situation because he wants us to be real with him because that's more important to him than making sure we have it all together. So we have to name it and be willing to, to deliver it to God and, surrender and let it go. Uh, which means, links me to my next one. The next key is surrender. We have to surrender our will to his will. So much of our disappointment comes from wanting something that God didn't do for us, but it not, God never even really promised it to us. Like, I really want this, and I want it in this time frame. And God's saying that I never promised you that in that time frame, you know? He may still be doing it, but it's not necessarily in, in the time frame that you want. And we have to be willing to surrender and say, God, I give this to you. This is what I want. Uh, a great prayer to pray. I pray it all the time. God, this is what I want, but I surrender it to you. Jesus did it. If Jesus did it, we can do it. Jesus said, if there's any other way, can this, if this cup can be taken from me, if there's any other way that this could happen without this happening, please do it, God. But then he finished it up by saying, but not my will, your will be done. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Amen? So we can do that. We can come to him and say, this is what I want, but I trust you. So what I would ask you today is, do you have a, a contract faith with God or a transcendent faith? A contract faith says, God, I'll serve you as long as you do what I need. If you do what I want, I'll serve you. A transcendent faith says, God, I'll serve you no matter what. Now, most, a lot of us get saved with a, more of a contract faith, if we're being honest. Like we, we see what God can do. We, you know, we see the cross. We see our need for salvation and forgiveness of sin. We kind of enter into that contract faith to some degree. There's a level of that in our life because God, because of what you did for me, I'm going to serve you. But as we grow, hopefully we would grow to that place where we would have more of a transcendent faith that says, God, no matter what happens, if you don't do anything for me the rest of my life, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to give my life to you because you're worthy of it. And a transcendent faith knows that it's a privilege to be in relationship with Jesus. That's what a transcendent faith knows, that it's a privilege. It's not, he's not obligated to it. It's a privilege for us to just know him. And just knowing him is enough for us when we have that transcendent faith. Um, there was a, a gentleman in the church that turned in a prayer request last week on a connect card and said that he'd been diagnosed with bladder cancer and, uh, and that he wanted prayer for it. And it, it, ju- it just, well, there's a couple different aspects of it, but it made me want to call him and actually pray for him over the phone and encourage him because um, my heart went out to him. So I called him and, I, and you know, I was expecting to talk to somebody that would be down and, and kind of, you know, maybe even a little bit depressed and questioning and, and really needing for me to encourage them, you know. So before I called, I even prayed, said, Lord, you know, just help me to be encouraging. And I got myself amped up and I called him and I said, you know, I'm just calling you because of your prayer request. And, and he goes, oh yeah. He said, well, I really appreciate that. He said, um, and I asked him a little more about it. And he said, well, you know, I've already gone through some treatment, but they, they said, I need more treatment. They found some more polyps. And now they're even talking about wanting to remove organs. And I mean, you know, he's telling me this, it's like, whoa, this is getting heavy, you know? And um, before I even had a chance to say anything, he goes, but you know what? He said, over the last year, he said, I went through a season where I was, where I was kind of walked away from the Lord, but he said, over the last year, I've been in the word more than I've ever read the word in my life. And he said, God has done so much in my heart. He said, I know now that it is a privilege for me to be in relationship with Jesus. 
And I said, yeah, praise God. And I'm listening there and, and I'm thinking, I called to encourage this guy and he's rocking my world. I mean, he encouraged me. He said, it is such a privilege to know Jesus and to know that, that I, I, I believe and I know that he literally came and he died for me. And he said, whatever happens, he said, I'm gonna continue to serve him. I love him, I trust him. And, and I am, it's such, he must've said the word privilege four times about just the privilege it is to be in relationship with him. And I said, I said, sir, I said, I called to encourage you, but I said, you have blown me away. I said, this is the, this is the highlight of my week to hear somebody that, that has that kind of perspective to know that, you know, no matter what happens, I mean, he wants healed. I, he asked me to pray for him that he'd get healed. He, he definitely wants that, but he has this faith that's not a contractual faith that says, God, I wanna serve you if you do what I want. He's serving him. He said, if I get my healing here or on the other side, he said, I'm good with it. And I said, wow, what a powerful testament. That's a guy that has experienced the love of God, that knows that love. And uh, in fact, there's another man in the church right now that I've been, that I've prayed with some, and I talked to him here on Sundays and he's going through some cancer too. And his attitude is always so upbeat. He's just so, he's just thankful for every day that he has. And, and it's such a blessing to see that because that's, that's the heart that God wants us to have. You know, that, that like, yes, I have these things I want, but no matter what, I'm gonna serve him till I have no more breath in my lungs to serve him. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to have that transcendent faith in him. And I, and, and I believe it's a privilege to know him. So, and the lastly, and I'll, I'll close with this. The last key is to to, choose to trust him when you don't understand. Now, I remember preaching a whole sermon on this before because this is something for we, so many of us deal with constantly is that not understanding what's going on. You know, Isaiah talks about how God's ways are so much higher than ours and, 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 and that's all fine and good, but there's times we just would really like to understand. We'd really like to understand what's going on and there's just times that, that we don't get understanding. Um, I wanna read to you from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. And I'm gonna ask the, uh, the praise team to come up as I close, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. So he's our high priest who's ascended to heaven. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest that is able to empathize with us. That is a powerful statement. To be, able, to be able to empathize means you put yourself in their place, like you've gone through what they're going through. And that's, a, that's, a, that's such a powerful, powerful statement to say that Jesus has gone through what we're going through and he empathizes with us. That means when your heart is broken, his heart is broken. That means when you're grieving, he's grieving with you. It means when you're hurting, he's hurting with you. He empathizes. He comes, he brought himself down to our level. You know, uh, Paul said that, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form of a servant to become one of us and to be part of us. To, he came down to earth. He left the greatest place in the universe. He left the, uh, the throne of heaven to come make himself one of us so that he could empathize with us, so that he could, he could, say, we, he could tell us that he's been tempted in every way, just like we are, that, that he knows what we're going through. And that's a powerful thing. And I know for some of us, we would say, that's good and all, but I don't know that I really want him to just empathize. I want him to fix it. 
You know, I deal with that sometimes. Let's just be honest. There's times that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want God to empathize with, with something that's wrong with my life. I want him to fix what's wrong with my life. You know, I think to myself, if I were God and I, and I was a loving father, I'd fix it. I wouldn't just empathize with you. And I think a lot of us would say that. But, you know, we don't understand his ways. There are so many mysteries about God that, that we're never going to understand this side of heaven. And, and even though we may, we may want him to fix the, thing, the situations, we, we can hang our hat on on knowing that he empathizes with us, that he is there with us. And honestly, church, you know, he knows better. He knows better than we do. So if he chooses not to fix it, but he chooses to empathize and comfort us, then, then that's even better. Because we're going to experience him in a way that if, we just, if he just fixes it, sometimes we're not going to come to that place that he wants us to get to. Because I'm here to tell you today, and if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this, that, that the key to dealing with disappointment in our life is to understand that his biggest desire for us is that we would truly understand his love for us. That's his biggest desire for us. And, and for me, I get, I'm at the place in my life where I say, God, if, if the situations in my life that I don't like, if, you, if you're using those situations instead of just fixing them for me, if you're using them to help me to understand and have a revelation of your love for me, so be it. Because that's what I want. I want to know his love more than I want his, him to fix everything in my life. I want to know that love. That same love that, that uh, uh, caused the apostle John to stay with him when, when every other apostle, every other disciple left him when he got arrested and was being crucified. John stayed with him. And you know, John is the one in, throughout the gospels that is constantly saying that he was the beloved. He was the one that Jesus loved. Jesus loved all of them. But John had a revelation of that love. And that, that love, when he understood that love, he was, wor- he was willing to risk his life to be by Jesus' side while he was being crucified. That's the kind of love that I want to experience in my life and know so that I won't walk away. It's how, it's how Paul was in prison for doing nothing wrong except preaching the gospel and was able to sing hymns and rejoice and lead the guards to Jesus because he had a revelation of that love of God in his life. It's, it's why... It's why all the disciples uh, in the early church, every one of them was martyred, except for John. And they tried to martyr John, it just didn't take. It's why they were willing to be martyred. They were, they were, they were totally fine with being martyred because they had a revelation of that love of God. It's why the, the two men that I'm talking about in this church that are dealing with cancer right now uh, are able to say that it's a privilege to know God and to have a relationship with Jesus because they've had a revelation of that love. That's what's, that's what's the most important. That is what will cure us from that long-term disappointment in our lives. It is absolutely the cure, the remedy to all of that is understanding his love. And, and we can't make ourselves understand that love. That's a revelation God has to give to us. But I can promise you this on the authority of God's word that if we will ask him for that revelation, that he will answer that prayer. The answer to that prayer is never no. Because he wants us to know his love a lot more than we wanna know it. That's his heart. That's why he did what he did was so that we could know the love of the father in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we, as we close. I'm just going to ask you today, if uh, we're, going to, we're going to open the altar here. If you want to come up and pray, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come, those that are going to pray with us this morning. If you, if you want to pray with someone, um, or if you just want to come to the altar and pray on your own, that's fine. Or if you want to stay in your seat and pray. You don't have to come to this altar to to pray. It's good to respond. There's something that's, 
that's uh, significant in our heart when we respond uh, to the word of the Lord, but you don't feel pressure to do anything. I just, I want, I'd like for all of us to really just search our hearts and, and ask God, like, what's in here? What's in here that's keeping me, if, I'm, if I am dealing with disappointment? What's, what's keeping me from being able to move beyond that, to say, I trust you, God. I'm disappointed in this, but I'm not gonna allow it to change my view of you or change my commitment to you or change my faith in you. But I'm gonna allow you to use this in my life to make me stronger, to make me better, to make me more mature, to do whatever you wanna do in my life. So I'm gonna ask you to respond to that. Also, if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I would plead with you to not leave this place today without giving your heart to him. Because we are all, if we get what we deserve, none of us are gonna get any blessings in our life. The only, the only reason we don't get what we deserve is because of the grace of God, but we have to receive that forgiveness that he gives us by giving our heart to him, by giving our lives to him, by surrendering our lives to Jesus. So don't leave here today. If you've walked away from God, come back to him today. None of us are guaranteed any, any more time. It's not something that's ever worth putting off. So, so please today, don't leave. Come up, let someone pray with you or pray with someone that you know, or even by yourself. You just want to kneel at your seat and just ask the Lord to, to forgive you and come into your life. He will do that today. So I encourage you to pray. We're going to sing a little bit um, and, and just worship with us and be in, a, in, in an attitude of prayer. I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to open up. Father God, we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would do your work today in our hearts. God, I pray that you give us a revelation of your love. Help us to know that powerful love of God that was, that was so great, caused you to send your own son to come pay the price for us so that we could know you. God, help us to see it as a privilege to be in relationship with you, to even know you as our God. Do your work in our hearts over these next few minutes, God. Help us to respond to you, to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen.